Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Devil Wears Prada. The Devil Wears Prada was written by Lauren Weisberger and was published in 2003. And the film adaptation, which was directed by David Frankel, came out in 2006. And we're talking about The Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, classic, classic comedy, classic Anne Hathaway, classic classic Meryl Meryl Streep. (laughs) Classic Emily Blunt. We got the classics in here. Yeah. (laughs) Interestingly, this was like Emily Blunt's like big breakout role, which like I knew it was early in her career, but it was like the first big movie that she ever did. Yeah. And she's so great in it. And of course, has gone on to do amazing movies after Mm -hmm. this. So it's really cool to see her at her beginning in this movie. And this book was like really popular when it came out. Really? Yeah. It was like what people called chick lit, which I guess people still call them that. I don't really like that word. Yeah. Because it implies that like women have a specific type of literature or that it's like less like chick flicks. I don't know. There's anyway. no dick lit. Exactly. It's just lit. Ian. It's, it's just, just lit. lit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my problem. Yeah. With it. Yeah. Um, but it does kind of fall into this category um, a lot. And then, of course, the movie was super popular when it came out as well. I zoned out. What year did you say the book came out? 2003. 2000. Okay, so pretty, pretty shortly before the film. Yeah. So I probably like sold the rights to it like immediately. Yeah, the rights were actually sold before the book was published. Yeah, which I think has she was it, she. Do you know if this author's written anything? She's written other books since then, or was this like her first? Yeah, this was her first. Okay. Um, she published two like kind of sequels to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and has published other books as well. Okay. Okay. I was just curious about that because usually that's like. The selling of rights before the release is kind of like a, something Stephen King does, you know yeah. what I mean? Like big authors, but so I was mm-hmm. curious if she had, was established a lot at this point. But let's talk about the story. Let's talk about The Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, so uh, the book actually begins with a flash forward in the story, which is kind of interesting. And it's just kind of like one of the many, many ordeals that Andy is going through once yeah. she's like, officially Miranda's assistant. She is driving Miranda's like stick shift shift. convertible, (laughs) uh, has to pick up like her French. Yeah. New York city has to pick up her French bulldog. She's smoking and getting like ash all over her like fancy designer clothes. Yeah. And it's just kind of this like horrific, like situation. It gives you anxiety immediately. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this is a like preview of what it's going to be like <laughs> to read this book. <laughs> I, I know. Just reading that early part, I'm like, oh my God, is this like, is this going to be the level the whole book <laughs> is, is this at? Forever? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it does give you kind of a good like preview into like what's about to come essentially. Yeah. And then we kind of go back to the beginning of this story and we're introduced to the main character, Andy who has just graduated from college, so she's a new college grad, just moved to New York City, and is trying to find a job. And we've been there. Yeah, I think the the book definitely gets into this aspect of Andy and, like, this being, like, a specific time of someone's life. Yeah. And I really liked this aspect of the book early on because it felt very relatable in terms of, like, post-college graduation And, you know, how are you going to get into the field you want to get into and kind of how you end up 
going down paths that like you wouldn't have expected or imagined. The jobs that you end up taking just to like make yeah. money and you're like, I won't stay here long. And then you end up there for longer than you think. And like, and how easy it is to be taken advantage of when you're yes. in that position. Uh, Definitely. Like, I, one of the most relatable things was like when she's on a phone call about getting this job and she like accepts it. And then she was like, wait, there's like actually no official offer with like any mention of salary or anything like that. Yeah. And I'm like, that's so relatable that like. That feeling of being so out of your depth. Yeah. That it, you can't even ask and you feel too scared. And not knowing like what questions to ask or like how to advocate for yourself. Yeah. A lot of those things felt so honest, you know what I mean? And like truthful at the beginning that I really liked that aspect. Definitely. And Andy has a boyfriend, Alex, who they went to college together. We're together all throughout college. And now he's also in New York City um, and he is teaching. He's doing like a Teach for America type thing in a New York City school district. And we know that they're close and they've been together for a long time and they actually like backpacked through Europe and Asia together. Yeah. But they don't live together, Mm -hmm. which was something weird that I noticed from the start. Yeah. And more so the fact that like early on, it's just like I didn't want to tie Alex down. And and it's just like kind of a weird offhanded kind of excuse. Yeah. And I mean, he seems like the most like stable. Nice guy. Good guy. Yeah. And it's like there's got to be something more here. Like, is Andy afraid of commitment? Is he afraid? Like, is something. Does she not want to live with him? I mean, it's like, of course, if people don't want to move in together too soon, that's one thing. But like, they've both been together for like over three years. They're both moving to a city where it's, like, impossible to find anywhere to live. Yeah, and at the beginning of the book, she's scrambling to find an apartment. Yeah, and, and he doesn't even, like, offer. No, and it's never really, like, <laughs> thought of as being, like, a reasonable option. Yeah, it was just weird. It is strange. Also, for the no- for the record, uh, we will be calling this character <laughs> Alex, even though in the film, he's the only character with a name change. Yes. He's called Nate in the film. I don't know why. I don't care. We're going to call him. We're going to call him Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Good thing to mention early on. I would have forgotten. Yeah. Um, Andy also has a best friend, Lily, who they've been close for many years. And Lily is doing her PhD program at a New York school. Um, And they start off not living together. um, But then kind of midway through the story, they end up getting an apartment together. Yeah, and Lily's kind of like this free spirit kind of partier and... Yeah, uh, I guess supposed to be the opposite of Andy. It's very weird because like the book like early on makes you think that she's kind of like, I don't say prudish, but kind of like... Because Andy's like crashing on her couch at the beginning of the story. Yeah. And she talks about like driving Lily crazy. And so you get the idea that like Andy, like her life is more together than Andy's and that like she is not cool with Andy, like being there at all hours. And yeah. Yeah. It just kind of gives you the wrong impression of her character at the start. Yeah. It's a little odd. Let's switch gears a bit to the beginning of the movie. And the movie starts um, with like an opening credits montage. Yeah. There's actually a really great video uh, from the YouTuber Lessons from the Screenplay. We will link to that. Yeah. Uh, on our Patreon page when the episode comes out. And it, it just kind of explains how the film does a really good job of kind of um, being very smart with telling a lot of story in a very quick way. 
and kind of establishing characters very quickly. Yeah. And it's not like anything that's like it feels rushed when you're watching it. Mm-mm. It's just very smart. And so we get a montage of Andy getting ready in the morning and then kind of these three other nameless women who are very beautiful, high fashion, glamorous, glamorous New York women. And you get all these like comparisons right away that I think work really well where like they're, you know, first of all, they're like in in the sexy underwear and like hand selecting like all their clothes. And Andy's just kind of grabbing whatever's in the closet. Yeah. They put on lipstick. She puts on chapstick, that kind of thing. Yeah. And also we see them like measuring out their food in the morning um, (laughs) and Andy grabbing a bagel just from a local store and them taking like a cab or a car and Andy grabbing the subway. So further highlighting these like very different lifestyles. Yeah. And this shows us right away who Andy is, you know, just kind of like a regular down to earth not fashionable, not fancy, not rich person. Yeah, and I think it does, a, at least at the beginning, it does a good job of, like, they're not trying to, like, make her seem, like, ugly. No. Or, like, she's not standing on the scale and being, like, mm, like, you know, upset about her weight or anything. Like, yeah. she seems totally content and happy in her world, and, like, they're not trying to paint that narrative, at least, like, at this point, kind of. Yeah, and they also established the fact that Andy wants to be a journalist. She wants to write. Yeah. And this is the same in the book as well. Um, but obviously, it's really hard to break into that profession, as it is with, like, a lot of professions. So she's going in for a job interview at the magazine Runway. Yeah, so she shows up at the uh, the Eliza Clark building. Elias. Elias, I'm sorry. <laughs> I forgot what it's called. Uh, the Elias Clark building and the, uh, you know, she she goes up to the runway offices and quickly is kind of like, oh, shit, this place is like really like super fashionable and like everything's kind of frantic and crazy. Yeah. And shit goes down even more because uh, Miranda, the uh, editor, the head editor of the magazine is coming in early and no one was expecting it. Yes. And. We get to meet Emily, who is Miranda's first assistant or Mm -hmm. senior assistant, played by Emily Blunt. And she is just delightful Um, in both (laughs) versions. I really like Emily because she is totally dedicated to her job. You talk about someone who's like drinking the Kool-Aid. Like she's all in. You know what I mean? She's bathing in the Kool-Aid. She loves it. She is all about fashion. She's all about runway magazine. She's all about Miranda. And Miranda is the editor in chief of this magazine. And she like rules the world basically. Yeah. And it's kind of weird in the book. She she's actually going in for a different job interview. Yeah. But kind of gets like weirdly swept into this interview for the uh, assistant. Yeah. And it's kind of this odd like situation. Uh, But it's also established pretty early on that like it's kind of this thing where if you're Miranda's assistant for like a year. Yeah. Then you kind of get to move on and like you can kind of go anywhere within runway that you want to or, like, even get recommendations for outside of Runway. Yeah. And so, clearly, uh, Andy is, like, that's her goal. She wants to put in her year at Runway if she can. Even though it's totally different from what she wants to do in the long term. Yeah. She doesn't want to write for fashion magazines or anything like that. But, again, this point is reiterated to us in the movie and in the book multiple times that, like, 
you put in your time here with Miranda, and Miranda's one of the most powerful people in New York City. Which, what a weird system and how inconvenient for Miranda. Like, every fucking year. I think she just understands that no one would stay with her for that long. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Maybe that's, like, the perfect trade-off balance of, like, any longer than a year, no one would stick it out. But, like... (laughs) That's, Give them a reason to yeah, stay that long. Yeah, maybe. That's a good point I never really <laughs> thought of. She's self-aware. And plus, she always has one assistant to train the other. Yeah. But it's just like she's constantly like... Cycling through assistants. Yeah, you'd think that'd be really inconvenient, but I also understand it more now. <laughs> <laughs> the scene where Miranda shows up at Runway in the movie is so great. I love it. Yeah. And this is one of those things where I feel like it's so great to see something play out instead of read about it. Yeah, yes, Because in the book, it's basically the same. Like, they get the word that Miranda's coming in early or something, and everyone kind of freaks out, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, People are rushing to apply more makeup, to put on heels, um, to get, like, all the clothes out of the way. People are just running and hiding. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think because something like this has a really frenetic energy to it. Yes. And it's so much more rewarding or entertaining to watch it play out than just, like, reading about all the details and stuff. Plus, we get to have Stanley Tucci as Nigel say, gird your loins. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. A classic line, yeah. Uh, and, And... Worth saying right now, Stanley Tucci in this film is so good. Excellent. I really love that he plays it with like kind of a certain amount of like effeminate energy, but like certainly not like over the top or anything no, like that. You yeah. know, this easily could have been a role that like someone really plays up like yeah. kind of a queer um personality or caricature. You mean like the characters in the book? Uh, maybe a little bit. Maybe just the tag. There's like three characters that are kind of rolled into Nigel's character in the movie. Yeah. That are kind of like the gay men of Runway that Andy becomes familiar with. And not to like, you know, say that, you know, there is a right or wrong way to like present. But like, especially if you have an actor like Stanley Tucci, who is not a gay man, uh, you know, you that t- typically is oftentimes how it's portrayed by a straight man to be like super over the top. Yeah. So I appreciate his like restraint on that, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you could, you know, you can definitely assume that he's gay and you can also be like, well, we don't know, honestly. I'm like, I guess there open. isn't any specific references there. Mm-hmm. I was thinking at one point he mentioned someone's name who I thought was his husband, but then I realized I, I mistook that. So I guess it isn't. Yeah, I guess that's not, like, specifically said or anything, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, Stanley Tucci's great. Uh, but so, then we get the arrival of Miranda. And something that's interesting that's a difference in book and movie, which I totally understand why the movie didn't do it this way, but when Andy first starts her job, Miranda's actually gone for, like, a month. Yeah. Because she's away on vacation. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of seen as, like, a good... Uh, starting point for Andy because Emily can train her. Yeah. She only has to interact with Miranda through the phone. So um, it's a little bit easier for her to learn all the things that she'll have to do as an assistant. Um, basically her orientation. The movie obviously doesn't want to start it's like throw the her in the deep character end. character being gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't, you want Meryl Streep for every minute. Every scene. That you can get her. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, y- you know, Miranda shows up. 
And the buildup to like not seeing her face for a long time is really well done yes. until the elevator doors open. I love like the people like scurrying away from her like before she even gets on the elevator. Like they see her and they start like walking faster <laughs> like away. <laughs> It's like the right amount of like absurd, I think. You yeah. know what I mean? Like a little heightened, but probably not that heightened. I also want to say I love her white hair. Yeah. I don't know what it is about it. It's so good. That's all I can say. Mm-hmm. It's just good. And we instantly see Emily like running up to her and Miranda starting off on this kind of like monologue basically of all these requests that she needs from Emily and it's like thing after thing after thing after it's like I I wish I could describe it but I wouldn't be able to without just like reciting the whole thing yeah it's just like throwing out names and locations and events person book this thing just like no this thing yeah no breaths taken in between Emily's just like jotting things down in a in a flurry uh, yeah, just kind of like really once again bringing you into this world. And like you're like five minutes into this movie at this point. Like it's so quick. Yeah. And she brings Andy in for an interview. Um, and we see right away how cold and removed she is and also vicious, how vicious she can be. <laughs> yeah. But almost without without meaning to be like that's just how she is almost yeah she criticizes andy's outfit choices um (laughs) and is sort of like why would i hire you you don't even care about fashion yeah and andy is kind of like trying to do the interview charm at first and like kind of is just crashing and burning until she kind of realizes she's not going to get the job yeah and then just decides to kind of turn around and talk back to miranda just say listen like I know I don't dress like everyone here, but like I'm a really hard worker and like I'm smart and I can like, pick give this me up. a chance. Yeah, give me a chance. Mm-hmm. And this is like the first thing that really kind of grabs Miranda's attention. You can tell. Yeah. The book, it's kind of just like a standard, the standard interview, like Miranda being cold to her and then yeah. she's hired, which is sort of surprising. But then again, it seems like they're desperate for someone <laughs> to come into this job, I, even though they're like a million girls would die for this job. Yeah, I really love because this goes back to the, the fact that the book is like post-college job searching. Yeah. And even though this is like a super heightened and exaggerated kind of world like that, I believe is real, you know, but is it feels like super ridiculous. I also feels like represents how a lot of people feel in any kind of job. Like I know in jobs I've gotten in the graphic design field, like you're just kind of like so happy to be there that like, even if it sucks or is like not going well, you're just like, I should just be happy. I have this. And like in the same way in the book, people keep saying like, Oh, a million girls would die for this job. Yeah. And it's kind of like this gaslighting. It is kind of thing going on with like to make you think that any complaints you'd have don't really matter exactly and i should just be happy with what i get and like not question it or think that there's anything better out there definitely i think this captures that a lot and like i said even though it's this absurd world i think it's like very relatable and speaking of like it being relatable and connected to the real world. (laughs) You like that connection? Yeah, I like the segue. (laughs) Keep going. So the author, um, Lauren uh, Weisberger, actually worked for uh, Anna Wintour, who is the editor-in-chief of Vogue magazine of Condé Nast. And 
it's pretty clear <laughs> yeah. that Miranda is a stand-in for Anna Wintour, that Runway Magazine is a stand-in for Vogue Magazine. Yeah. So, I mean, Lauren, the author, has, you know, come out and said, like, yes, it's, like, partially based on the time that I worked at Vogue, but also it's based on, like, the experiences of my friends at the time and kind of the shitty jobs we had when we were young and fresh out of college, which I get. Um, but also, like, people have notoriously talked about the fact that Anna Wintour is kind of, like, a huge bitch. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a huge bitch. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I think, like, her legacy is undeniable. Like, she pretty much single-handedly, like, built Vogue up from where it was festering in, like, the 80s. Yeah, I mean, if you're, like, cranking out, like, a new assistant that you abuse, like, once a year, like... You're throwing out a lot of info to the public that would be, like, hard to really deny, I guess. Yeah. I guess some staffers nicknamed her, like, Nuclear Wintour. <laughs> yeah, I read that, too. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but she just has this, you know, kind of public persona and notorious reputation for being very cold, very removed, being very demanding, um, and kind of expecting special treatment, which, which sounds very much like Miranda. And again, it's hard to say exactly which of these things are like connected to real life, but I'm inclined to believe that a person like this exists and it could be Anna Wintour. <laughs> <laughs> Not making any definitive statements, but yeah, no, I, I, agree with that you know wholeheartedly that a lot of this feels very factual in a way and there is interestingly a documentary i think it's called the september issue that um anna wintour is featured in it's all about her and vogue coming out with a september issue of a, their magazine mm -hmm. and this came out like a year or two after the devil wears prada and some people thought it was like almost her being able to tell her side of the story. In after the book or the movie? The movie. Okay. And it kind of portrays her in a more positive light, obviously, because she's like, was behind it, basically. They hire some child actors to pose as her children <laughs> so she can smile with them. Um, but I think, I haven't seen the documentary, but I think it would definitely be interesting for anyone wanting to know more about like, how magazines like these are published and like, what it's like to be Anna Wintour. Yeah. Uh, at this point in the story, you know, after Andy gets the job, she begins like the trial by fire, just hell of being Miranda's assistant yeah. and all of the horrific tasks that this entails. And it's not so much, it's a combination of what she has to do, but also in the way that she has to deal with Miranda. Yeah. Typically Miranda will just say something super vague. Like I want, uh, I need a skirt. I need a, yeah, <laughs> or 10 skirts. Yeah. No specifications on like size, style, like what their purposes are for. And then like, it's up to Andy and Emily to like figure out. To become detectives. To, to <laughs> sleuth it out. Yeah. And figure out what she even means. And Emily tells her right from the beginning, we don't ask questions. Yeah. No follow-up questions. And she's like, it's better to, like, fail at what she actually meant and then get clarification than to ask for clarification. Yeah, which makes zero sense, but apparently that's how things are run at Runway Magazine. And there's, like, a lot of examples of this in the book and some in the movie, too, where 
Miranda just asks for like the most random things. Like she asks for like a dresser or some piece of furniture at a store like that she's yeah. in New York City. Yeah. Like in New York she City. She gives like on a street. And Andy like calls every single store, can't find anything, finally has to ask Miranda about it and like ends up finding out it's like in a completely different part of New York. Yeah, this was something interesting that the book, the book kind of highlights like Miranda is kind of being incompetent and wrong a lot of the times. Yes. And I don't think the movie really does that. No, her requests are impossible seemingly, but they're straightforward. Yeah. Or you just get the idea more in the movie that like Miranda just doesn't have time to give the details. Yeah. Uh, You know, she's too busy. This is part of her job. Occasionally she'll ask something that seems to be like for the purpose of being sadistic. Yeah. But overall, like, it, it seems more so just like I'm I'm busy and I don't have time for this or she doesn't want to take the time, I should say. Uh, but the book kind of gets more into the details of like she'll be wrong about things, but like not fess up to it. Yeah. And blames it on Andy or Emily. Yeah. And be like, I told you this already when she like totally didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, also, she is seemingly much more like intentionally sadistic in yeah. the book, I think, uh, just with the, the fact that like. And it's arguable, too, in the movie. She, like, calls Andy Emily. Yeah. In the book, she clarifies that. She's like, I definitely think it was, like, on purpose to kind of, mm-hmm. like, put her in her place. Well, she, like, will mock them, too. Yeah. For, like, questions they ask. And, like, this, it's similar in the movie. I just think it goes to more extremes in the book. And we have so many more examples of it in the book. It's, like, thing after thing after request after request. And in the movie, we get... The iconic like scene where Andy is trying to have dinner with her dad and Miranda's like, I need you to get me a plane to fly me out of this hurricane. (laughs) It's drizzling. (laughs) I don't know. Drizzling. (laughs) I I love that. It was like the funniest (laughs) line in the whole movie is this hurricane is, is raging outside. It's so great. And I think this is a perfect example of like how ridiculous Miranda can be. Yeah. And what she expects her assistants to do to accommodate her and what she expects the world to do to accommodate her Mm -hmm. basically. But um, we get like multiple instances of this in the book. Yeah, it's just kind of um, there's an ebb and flow to it in the movie. Like not to jump ahead, but like the her not getting the flight for Miranda is kind of this impossible task that she's not able to do. Yeah. And then later there's another impossible task she's given, but she does accomplish it. And that kind of shows her growth in the story and her changing. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. then from there, it's kind of like, not as bad. Yeah, there's like lesser tap. You know what I mean? It's not as. And the movie gives us like a montage of Andy, like, Picking up her dry cleaning, like grabbing her dog, like picking, you know, buying things for her, bringing coffee, things like that. So we kind of get more of that condensed nature, which movies can do and books really can't. So whereas in the book, we get like thing after thing after stressful incident after stressful incident. And in the movie, it's just kind of like and then here's a montage of Miranda throwing her coat on Andy's desk like 17 times. <laughs> yeah, the montage is great. There's just a lot of great funny moments. Uh, Andy pulling out into New York traffic in the car. Yeah. Uh, her with like the boogie boards, <laughs> like walking down the street. Just like a lot of great little moments like that that just give you the idea of it. Um, but yeah, the book is just kind of like relentless, just like one thing after another after another. And just like so frustrating. Yeah. And all kind of just like an equal measure. 
And I feel like the book also spends a lot of time focusing on just, like, the inner workings of the office, too. Yeah, like, then we'll have, like, this type of meeting, and then this department does this thing, and things like that. Yeah, or, like, at one point there's, like, a chapter that's just, like, a day in the life. Yeah. And it goes from her, like, waking up and, like, her morning rituals with Miranda, (laughs) and then, like, into the afternoon, and, like, the coffee, like, and just, like, every detail is fleshed out, and... At this point in the story, I'm like, I think I get the gist of this. Like, I think I know... That this sucks. (laughs) Yeah, and what the job generally entails. And so it just kind of becomes a bit of a slog at a point in the book, I think. And it's pretty stressful, too. Like, it's just basically scene after scene of Andy being like, I'm going to do this thing tonight. And then Miranda's like, ha ha, no, you're not, because I have these things that I need you to do. And Andy being like, oh, no, I can't sleep. Oh, no, I can't eat anything. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no, I can't see my friends. And it, it kind of makes me wonder, like, going back to uh, the author and this, like, clearly being somewhat based in her experiences. And I kind of just wonder if she should have written a memoir. Yeah. Instead of this story, because, like, it feels like a memoir in a lot of ways. Like, all these details, all these, like, individual stories, it kind of lacks, like, the arc of the book in terms of like a character growth you know what i mean the arc of the movie or the arc of the movie yeah uh i I, it kind of feels like all these individual stories that like i'm like i think if it was in a memoir form and i knew what i was reading was at least like her personal account of things yeah it maybe would have been more interesting but you're also kind of like where's the truth where's the exaggeration where's just like this is boring yeah, exactly. I'm I'm kind of like, it feels like it's almost like 80% memoir. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm kind of like, I would have just taken that condensed version of it at points. Yeah. Because it may have made it a little more interesting and palatable. Mm-hmm. We should also talk about the office culture as well, because it's not just Miranda making uh, Andy's life miserable. It's just like the fashion. It takes a whole team. <laughs> It takes, really. a, it takes a village to abuse a woman, <laughs> Adina. <laughs> I mean, truly. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, this is kind of what you would expect. She works for a fashion magazine in the fashion industry. And everyone is obsessed with being thin and beautiful. And beyond just like, oh, I should like look good. It's like very, very unhealthy. And multiple references are made in both the book and the movie to the employees not eating. Yeah. Um, To the employees like dieting in a way that's very, very unhealthy. To uh, an obsession with your the number of your size. Yeah. Um, And also just like, like fat shaming people as well. Yeah, it's... um. This, it's interesting when you compare book to movie in this instance. Like, the movie definitely plays all of this, for the most part, for laughs. Yeah. In terms of, like, all of the rude comments made towards Andy about her clothing, uh, you know, Miranda calling her fat. Yeah. Uh, things like that, you know, kind of these, like, snide comments made at her are kind of, like, set up as jokes. Yeah. And... I kind of found it just really hard to like laugh at a lot of these moments, like, or even chuckle. I mean, I was fine with them making fun of her outfits, but I don't like when people make fun of someone's body. Yeah, no, for <laughs> sure. Uh, and, and I mean, like, I don't know, you just kind of like feel bad for her to a degree as well. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. to the point where I'm like, uh, and 
I, I think the book is interesting because the book kind of gets a little bit more into like the fucked up psychology of it a little bit more. Yeah, she talks about how they like the people working there all saw themselves as fat. But not like, just like her, but yeah. like looked at themselves and saw flaws and saw fat and it being kind of like an obsession. And this gets into like, you know, eating disorders like, you know, anorexia or mm-hmm. bulimia where people like look in the mirror and they see like a distorted version of themselves. I loved that pointing that out in the book because like Andy was at first really offended because like these size zero women would be like, oh, like look at my stomach and stuff. And like Andy in the book. I remember her saying she's a size six in the movie. I'm not sure what she She was the same in the book. Okay. Yeah. But being like, she took this like as an insult because she's like, well, if you're fat and you're a zero, what, what am I? Yeah. But all the women and she's like, she could tell they were being genuine. We're like, oh, but no, Andy, but you look great. Like you don't look fat at all. And she was like, oh my God, like they really do just see themselves in this way and kind of really highlighting how toxic and sad that is. It is really sad. And in the book, Andy starts smoking um, and talks about how she starts losing weight because she doesn't have time to eat because she has so much to do and also loses weight just like from the stress of her job. Yeah. Um, And in the movie, we see Andy getting like criticized for being a size six. And at one point later on in the movie, she tells Nigel that she's down to a size four. So clearly like she has been kind of internalizing this and wanting to change. And I mean, Nigel is just as guilty as everyone else in terms of like, he's like, oh, you're eating clam chowder today, you know, that kind of thing. Although I did crack up when she like just spilled some on her sweater (laughs) and was like, oh. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I I think the toxicity of the culture of the office was, uh, I think just like interesting to read about in the book specifically. Definitely. And I think it is brought to your attention in the movie as well, even though it's more for like laughs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just love the line. I have to mention it that Emily says when they're at the, the party, um, Andy says that she looks really thin and, uh, Emily says that she's <laughs> one stomach flew away from her goal weight. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not advocating it. I just think it's a funny line. It's a good line. <laughs> Emily Blunt delivers it well. Uh, there's also a, a scene that's very, very good in the film, too, when uh, they're doing like a um, a run through or like a look over at like the styles and fashions of what's going to be in the issue. Yeah. And Andy's there taking notes and she kind of chuckles out loud at like someone mentioning these two belts being very different when they're both. They just look like turquoise belts with like different buckles. Yeah. And Miranda kind of gives her she kind of tears her a new asshole and gives her this like whole speech which I really liked in this story. I think it makes sense. She talks more about the fashion industry and its place in the world. And even people who pretend that they're not a part of fashion really are a part of fashion. Yeah. And I actually think this can be extrapolated. I'm like going beyond what the movie is saying to like fast fashion and like the environmental toll and like the personal toll that fashion takes, mm-hmm. you know, um, the waste and the pollution and also like people that are low-wage workers working in fashion and how we're all really like a part of the fashion industry even if we don't buy luxury brands yeah uh yeah it's a really good point worth bringing up is that like um that is a problem in the fashion industry i think ashley our our friend ashley knows like all about that she's told us a lot about that which has been interesting Mm -hmm. uh but yeah I, i think it's good getting Miranda's perspective on fashion, like her own personal kind of like interest in it and her caring about it. Yeah. And also seeing Andy kind of like 
her thinking she's kind of above this. Yeah, because you don't care about something that means you're above it. Which yeah. is not true. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, like, this is a really good scene that I like. And it leads to her going to um, Nigel in the film and kind of, like, complaining because she was... Or no, it wasn't from this scene. I'm sorry. It's it's related. It's related, yeah. yeah. Um, she's kind of has... She has a moment of, like, wanting to give up. And Nigel is like, oh, keep complaining. Like, we can find someone else to do your job. Like, you're not trying... He's kind of like really... He's hard on her, which I like. You do like it? Yeah, no, I do like it because later on when they're kind of more close, it shows that like they've built up this relationship. And I like that he's not just there to like um, coddle her. Yeah. Like he's kind of like, I mean, you either want to do this job or you don't. Like in a way that is the advice that she needs. Like she has a decision to make. Either quit or like try harder or like be all in, you know? Yeah. And I, I feel like this was what I felt the whole time in the book was I was like, Andy, either quit or like fully commit to this because it felt like she never did in the book. Yeah, that's true. I do like her. I, I like her arc in the movie in terms yeah. of like her kind of fully embracing this lifestyle and like yeah. really deciding like, to like try to make the best of it. Yeah, no, I, I do like that. I just feel like, I guess just like Miranda is so just like abusive and like horrible in so many ways. And like, cause I think what in the film, her being so upset is because she wasn't able to get Miranda a flight back. Yeah. And I'm like, she literally couldn't have done it was anything. Impossible. Yeah, it was like literally impossible. And Nigel's just like, well, you just got to try harder. And I'm like, she couldn't have. Like, <laughs> so I guess just part of me felt like frustrated a little bit. Like, I do think his comments, though, were more about like her dressing for the job because they can just that's get free true. clothes and she could have worn them at any time. Yeah. And also her like attitude, especially in that scene where she kind of scoffs during mm-hmm. that run through like yeah and kind of says like you're acting like you're above everyone and so it was not less about her being a, an assistant and more about her like feeling like she was above it all okay i, res- I respect that take <laughs> i'm not saying i'm wrong or that you're right i respect it <laughs> uh should we talk about uh Lily a little in the in the book yes so remember Lily Andy's best friend in the book um or in the remember Lily in the movie come I mean, on she's Lily. not really in the I, movie I know that's what I'm <laughs> <laughs> but uh turns out she is a raging alcoholic yeah like real bad real bad I made a note at one point like they go out for the night and like Lily gets so completely hammered that she's like throwing up in the streets yeah and like like Andy has to take care of her she has to change her shirt for her like and and get her back in bed and after all of this she's like I wonder if like Lily's drinking too much and she's like eh better not like think about this later (laughs) and even like her boyfriend Alex brings up like hey I'm worried about Lily yeah and Andy's like, she's fine. She's still in college, technically. Yeah. She's doing her PhD. Everyone needs to drink when they're in their PhD. And I think, I mean, it's clear that Andy has no time to focus on anyone other than herself and Miranda uh, and barely on herself. But I don't know. This trajectory for Lily seems really like intense. And I don't know if it was believable as like a 
slow progression. Mm. It seemed like immediately it was like, wow, this is a huge problem that no one is acknowledging for like the whole book. (laughs) Yeah. The whole Lily aspect, like not saying it's not like rooted in truth at all, but like almost felt like the more like if I were to like assess this, like is the more fictional aspect incorporated into what is mostly a memoir. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like, you know, something very almost like convenient story wise happens later concerning her. Yeah. Um, Lily is a plot device. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but she's just kind of like really, really really not handling things well and in denial about and and Andy is too in terms of like not really wanting to address like or admit that she has a problem yeah or the situation going on yeah and also Andy's relationship with her boyfriend Alex is on the rocks we see this as well in the movie kind of in the movie they live together so we see her coming home a lot and then being like him being frustrated with her not being around yeah in the movie they make the crazy decision to live (laughs) together in New York City who would have guessed (laughs) (laughs) and in the movie alex slash nate is a chef so he's also kind of doing like this low-wage work in the book he is doing this teach for america at like a quote unquote like inner city school um and i just like really didn't like his character even from the beginning really yeah he just like i i refer to him as saint alex (laughs) yeah because he's just like I'm so good. I'm, like, going to teach at this, like, disadvantaged school. I'm going to, like, help these children. Like, I just care so much yeah. about, like, everyone. And I think the contrast between him and Andy was, like, so stark that it made me annoyed. Yeah, no, I do think he's, like... Exaggerated. I'm not, like, annoyed with him. Like, he wasn't, like, an annoying character. But, like, I didn't... He felt, like, once again, like, a very fictional character in this, like, mostly realistic setting. Because he's, like, uh, I just care so much about the kids and who's going to teach the kids to read. <laughs> if I can't teach the kids to read, how will they ever like find a better life? And yeah. And I like the function of it in the story in terms of like, once again, kind of being gaslit to a degree or self like doubting where, when uh, Andy got really stressed by her job, she's like, well, Alex is in like a really bad job and he's doing something that like really matters. And I should be able to handle this job that really doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. Like I did like her having to deal with that. Cause I do think once again, that's a relatable thing Yeah, where unless you're a doctor saving lives, you're like teaching in inner city schools. It's like, you know, sometimes you look at your own job, you're like, it's fine. You know what I mean? I just feel like he was too much of a contrast. I totally agree. Yeah, he's like the author went in the total opposite direction. He has no other discernible personality, and there's he has no flaws, nothing. He's just not interesting. Um, And they're together for so long in the book, and I'm like, why? Maybe that's why she never moved in with him. She's just like, he's so boring. Really fucking boring. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't listen about the kids for more than like one phone call. She meets at this time, though, a sexy distraction. (laughs) Christian, the successful author slash uh, article writer. Yeah. Um, And I don't really like the guy that plays him in the movie. I don't think he's attractive. I think. (laughs) Really? I think Nate is way more attractive. And uh, Andy wouldn't have really had it. Like, (laughs) she would not have gone for Christian in the movie. Like. Come on. Yeah, the guy the guy in the film is like 
like if there was like an algorithm to determine like what was attractive, like that would be him. But he's not actually like what anyone would find. Like he's got like the square kind of chiseled jaw, kind of blonde curls, like that kind of thing. But like no one would actually be like he, he just looks so pretentious. He um, does. The, the book actually describes him as sexier, which I liked. Um, they kind of made him seem. I mean, they just say he's sexy a lot. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Maybe that, so that made me think that he was sexy. Yeah. Um, but Andy is enamored with him because he's a, a successful writer, which is what she wants to be. And he likes to flirt with her. And she's like, this is harmless. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm still with Alex and I'm not going to cheat on him. But like, also, maybe I'll just flirt with Christian for a little bit. Yeah. Who's going to like, I'll just kiss him on the cheek and like. He'll just kiss me on my mouth without permission and like not care at all. And like, it's, it's fine. It's totally fine. It's like a flirtation, you know? Uh, but yeah, so he's kind of in the writing world though, which is obviously where Andy wants to be. So that's kind of a factor too, is that like, he's kind of an insider in this world. We get kind of this um, arc or like turning point in the plot where Andy now is entrusted to deliver the book um to Miranda's house at night which was a job that Emily was doing before and now Andy is trusted enough to do it (laughs) yeah but of course she fucks it up (laughs) immediately uh I loved in the film how this works I'm kind of shocked because Miranda has two children in both versions and in the book you get the idea that they're kind of shitty children yeah and i figured in the movie they'd be like really cute and nice and like more relatable but they're also <laughs> shitty in the movie i mean i think they're just being kids true no yeah they're not like exceptionally shitty yeah but they're certainly not like great i thought they'd be like the example of how miranda's like a good mom in real life or mm. something but they're just like kids and <laughs> like i love in the film they trick andy into taking the book upstairs. Well, it's funny because first they help her. They're like, oh, it's the left closet. And then she trusts them. And then they're like, oh, you can bring it upstairs. (laughs) Emily does it all the time. They've definitely done this to like (laughs) 10 other like assistants in the past. Yeah. They're like on a schedule with this. She's like, oh, they've got a new, she's got a new assistant. She's coming in tonight. (laughs) But Andy brings the book upstairs into Miranda's apartment, which is not allowed. And she sees and hears... Miranda and her husband, like, fighting. Yeah, and it's super awkward. Like, she's halfway up the steps and, like, can't turn back. And, of course, tries to turn back and then, like, comes back up. And and when Miranda sees her, she just, like, sets the book at the top of the steps. (laughs) She's like, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's a great scene, though, to kind of, like, catch a glimpse. I think it captures the weirdness of it. Yeah. Of, like, this person that you see in this, like, feared position at work and like you know this almost like inhuman icy person but then catching just a the briefest glimpse of her in her real life like having an argument with her husband yeah and in the book there's like a similar scene where she like catches them like eating dinner and kind of like accidentally like makes eye contact with them and is like panicking (laughs) and I agree it's like such an awkward situation you have to come in there like you don't exist drop this stuff off and leave you know yeah very servant like yeah being invisible uh but so in the film Miranda is so pissed about this that this is where the Harry Potter book situation comes into play 
in the book, this is just kind of like what, another demand that Miranda makes. But in the film, it's rightfully this like impossible task that Miranda's giving her just to kind of like. It's kind of an ultimatum. Yeah. Well, I'm not even sure an ultimatum, but like just kind of a reason to like fire her and to yeah. punish her. Uh, she's like, my children want the unpublished final Harry Potter book. And this whole thing is absurd. I know. I'm like, this is this would never happen. I mean, maybe for the earlier books. Yeah. But for the seventh book, that book was under such tight security. If the fine yeah, the final book, it's like in no way. Like There's maybe no way. the third. Yeah. The third was like the last you could have gotten away with this for. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's when the yeah, book the, came out. Because yeah. I mean, if the author's drawing from experience, I don't know if this is real or not, if this is a made up story. But definitely this would never happen for the seventh Harry Potter book. Um, but she does get it. In the movie, she asks Christian for help, and he ends up getting her the manuscript. She gets it to the twins. They're on the train. They're reading it. And there's this kind of, like, proud moment for Andy where she gets to, like, tell Miranda, like, yeah. oh, the books are already with the twins, and they're reading them, and I had them rebound, and, like, all this stuff. And Miranda's kind of, like, like, she's impressed. Yeah, yeah. She's already got answers for her because Miranda's like, oh, there's only one copy here, and I have two daughters. And she's like... Your d- two daughters already have two copies. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's this kind of like, whereas the uh, airline uh, scheduling conflict was her failure, this is like a similar situation where she like, but once again, like, it's just a total... Impossible. Well, I was gonna say, just a coincidence that she knew Christian. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? She, it wasn't like so Could much... Could she have tried harder in the other yeah, circumstance, you Yeah, know? it was just like, oh, she happened to be able to do it this time. Like, maybe if she knew an airline pilot that she was, like, flirting with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's just kind of, like, coincidental, essentially, but... Yeah. She does it, and she's like, ah, oh, this certainly won't make me evil now. <laughs> So Andy's on a high right now. She's doing well. And then Miranda's like, hey, I need you and Emily to come with me to this museum party and be kind of the. Oh, they have to like memorize who all these people are so they can whisper them into her ear. I love this because this is like a whole character in the show Veep. (laughs) So I know it's true that like a ton of people do this. Like they just have someone like whisper who people are. Yeah. So they don't have to remember. And this is because Emily has been sick recently and Miranda is not pleased with Emily's performance. (laughs) And so Andy is kind of brought in as backup, which is hilarious. In the book, it's just that she kind of wants to like, it seems like fuck with Andy. And so she's like, ha ha, you have to come. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But this is another instance where Andy is able to prove herself, at least in the movie, when Emily forgets who someone is. Yeah. Andy is the one to step in and be like, it's this person. (laughs) so adina i have to take a pause here and say that this movie and book reading it and watching it and consuming it i'm like this reminds me so much of another story Mm. because both stories are about someone college post-college age getting into a very specific world and field and there's someone very prominent that they look up to and they want to be better and be like them. But it's an abusive relationship, Adina. Hmm. The person takes advantage of them and berates them and makes them feel bad. And they also play mind games where they pit two people against each other, such as how Andy and Emily are pitted against each other. Yeah. That movie 
is one of my top favorite movies, Whiplash. Oh. This movie and book, mm. The Devil Wears Prada, mirrors so many, like, just kind of the story of Whiplash so much. Interesting. That I thought it was, like, really interesting. Yeah. Because, like, in Whiplash, like, Fletcher, who's, like, this, you know, conductor, is just constantly berating the main character, making them feel shitty. But he's also, like... A revered character in like the jazz world. Yeah. And so like. And considered to be the best. Yeah. And you have to like put in your dues and like the main character wants to be better and like, you know, do what they If he trains with him, that's going to make him awesome. Yeah. But like that story gets much more into like the fucked up psychology of it. Definitely. Uh, Whereas, you know, obviously the Devil Wears Prada is a little lighter. (laughs) (laughs) But it was just a comparison I thought I would bring up because I thought it was like so interesting that like there are very, very similar stories. Yeah. And kind of like interesting how these like people in power are painted in abusing their positions to the people below them. And I think this happens a lot. Yeah. And I think like both stories are like at least loosely based in like real life experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically I'm taking this moment to plug the movie Whiplash because it's not an adaptation. I'll never get to talk about it in an episode, but everyone should watch it. (laughs) I notoriously can't watch that movie. You appreciate it, though, right? I appreciate it, but it made me so upset and stressed that I can't watch it again. Don't listen to Adina. (laughs) Everyone should watch this movie. I don't care (laughs) if it's COVID times or whatever. It's worth it. It's so good. It's very stressful. (laughs) (laughs) It is very stressful. Although, I would argue equally stressful to this book. No. I think so. No, not at all. Please. The book is continued. The book is so much more. The, the movie's done in an hour and a half. Oh, this did not even reach the levels <laughs> of like pain and sorrow and anxiety I felt watching Whiplash. So <laughs> I'll just leave you with that contrast. Okay, okay. That's my let's, recommendation. Let's move on. <laughs> I just wanted to bring that up when I had the chance. So speaking of pitting them against each other, Emily in the movie is kind of on the downward trajectory in Miranda's eyes. <laughs> yeah. And Miranda approaches Andy and is like, hey, uh, Emily was supposed to go with me to Paris to this like fashion show. And Emily's been looking forward to it forever. Um, but I don't think she should go. I want you to go with me. And she's like, here's a knife. I want you to stab Emily in the back with it. And she's like, I mean, you have a choice. You can come with me or you're fired. <laughs> What a choice. And then we get a montage of Andy walking around the city like being sad, deep in thought as if it's actually like anything you would like question for two seconds. Like, oh, do I want to fire it or do I want to not go and like tank my entire career or do I want to go to Paris for like a whole week in like the fashion industry? Yeah, she eventually decides to go and she has to call Emily to tell her. And as she's calling Emily, poor Emily is rushing around trying to do some tasks for Miranda and ends up getting hit by a car. <laughs> I do love this. That's really funny. She's addition. fine. She's fine. I mean, she broke her leg. She broke her leg, but she's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and this was the part, though, I didn't understand was that, like, then Andy goes to the hospital and explains that Emily's not going to Paris, not because she just recently broke her leg, but I be- mean, she could have used that excuse. Exactly. Why wouldn't you just use that excuse? Yeah. And be like, listen, Miranda said that she needs someone that can walk. Yeah. She's super ableist. And I mean, at the end of the film, when they're back from Paris, 
we see Emily and she's still in a leg cast. So yeah. clearly like the On time. Crutches. Yeah. So like that would have been a perfect excuse to not have Emily go. Yeah. And but instead she's like, no, she just didn't want you to go. Be- she just hates you. Before you got hit by the car. She didn't want you to go. Now she really doesn't want you to go. <laughs> in the book, Emily gets mono. And, like, doctors literally order her to stay in her apartment. Like, she can't leave. Yeah. And you can tell this has been, like, kind of a long time coming because she's been working herself to death for yeah. years for Miranda. Um, but, so, Andy has to go with Miranda kind of as a second choice, which is interesting to have those differences play out in the book and the movie because in the movie it's more like, Miranda likes Andy more at this point. Yeah, she's now throwing her coat and bag on Emily. I really like that shift. <laughs> yes. She's throwing her coat and bag on Emily's desk now. Mm-hmm. And um, But this creates um, some conflict very quickly that Andy now has to go to Paris. Yeah. Because her boyfriend, Alex, is not super happy with it. No, and this has been building for a while between them. And he kind of views this as... The culmination of everything that's happened, all the terrible things that Andy has done for this job, all the time she's canceled on him. Um, And it kind of plays out the same in both the book and the movie. Basically, Alex is like, you're becoming someone that I don't recognize. Like, our relationship is on the rocks. Like, you're not even here for me anymore. I think we should take a break. Yeah. And in the film, we also get like some truth bombs, some truth bombs dropped by uh, Lily as well. Yeah, because she sees Andy and Christian kind of like flirting, flirting. He's like circling her in a really uncomfortable way. Yeah. Uh, but Lily's just like she says, I think like I don't even know who you are anymore, or something like that. Yeah. And I have a really conflicted feeling about this fight or confrontation because specifically in the film, like Alex tells Andy, like, cause earlier in the film and uh, Andy missed Alex's uh, birthday party and yeah. he was like very upset by that. And then later in the scene, she's like, listen, I'm really sorry. Cause like they're talking about Paris. She's like, I'm sorry. I know you're upset cause I missed your birthday. And he says like, I'm not upset about that. What am I five Andy? And he's like, I'm upset because like I don't recognize you anymore and I don't know who you are and you used to make fun of these people and now yeah. you are one. But I'm like, she's not there for you. Like that that is something you can be upset about. Yes. Like yeah. you can be upset that she wasn't there for your birthday. Like you're in a relationship and if she can't literally physically be there for you and you need that, like that's a person that's a perfectly reasonable reason to not think it's working out anymore. I think this does show up in their argument when they're trying to talk it out and Andy has to take a call from Miranda. Yeah. And he says like, you're not in a relationship with me. You're in a relationship with her. Like she's the one that you have to always take her calls. Yeah. Kind of that prioritization. Like he's not a priority in her life. I guess I just feel like a lot of it hinges on like the fact that she wears nice clothes now and like has her hair done and like makeup and stuff. And I'm like, that's like, yeah, he does talk about like liking her old clothes. Yeah. Does that matter? Yeah. I'm like, that's so far past the point of like what's actually wrong with the relationship yeah and i feel like the movie focuses on that aspect you know the whole like i'm not five i don't care if like that's 
like the whole her not being there is the problem. Yeah. But the movie makes this weird pivot to being like, you wear really nice shoes and I'm pissed <laughs> off about it, Andy. Well, it's funny because like some people think that like Alex is the true villain of I've the movie. I've seen that. I don't really buy no. that. I think he's a, a decent guy. He doesn't get a lot of screen time. So like he's not a fully fleshed out character. Oh yeah, he's super bland. But like I think his motivations are like good. Um, I, I agree with you that the focus being on her clothes is like dumb and yeah. like her wanting to be successful is dumb. But I think what you're saying, like her not paying attention or like making him a priority, they're like so valid. And if he's upset by that, like that's okay. Yeah. And I mean, if she wants her life to be this, she's allowed to, you know what I mean? Like if she wants to be Miranda's slave 24 seven and like not have her own life. Yeah, like, but there's going to be consequences. Exactly. Yeah. That doesn't mean he has to stick around for it. Yeah, I was I was curious going into this movie because I had also recently seen like the memes. Yeah. The um the movie villain versus the actual villain. Yeah. Where they say like Alex or um Nate is the actual villain of the film. And I'm like, no, he's just like He's just there. He's just there. <laughs> he's not even really a character. No, he's clearly there as to be like the um the marker for how far she's changed yeah but like honestly for most of the film he's like very understanding about like a lot of shit he has to go through in the relationship and i'm like don't put this on him (laughs) (laughs) uh andy goes to paris with miranda it's like chaos from the beginning yeah she ends up meeting up with christian and kind of having like a fling with him while she's on a break in the book, they just, like, kiss and make out and, like, dance sexily on each other. Um, and in the movie, they actually have sex, even though Andy kind of says that she doesn't want to have sex with him and is, like, saying no multiple times, and then they still have sex. So that's a little bit of a problem. He's... <laughs> yeah, he's equally aggressive in different ways in both versions. Like, yeah. in the book, he just, like, kisses her on the mouth and... St- sticks his tongue in her mouth like very quickly and she's like ah yeah and then in the movie she's like i'm very drunk and i don't want you to kiss me and i have a boyfriend and he's like i think you just need more kisses and then she's like you were right (laughs) yeah so i don't i don't love this i don't either in both scenarios because i mean especially in the movie because she says like no multiple times um but I think this is where we're going to kind of split off and talk about the different endings separately because they are very different. So let's talk about the book ending. Let's talk about the book ending. So uh, she does end up like like we said, really, it's more in the book that things in Paris are just insane, like immediately and stressful. Yeah. Like, really, that's just kind of the continuing arc of the story is things were bad at the stressful. beginning. <laughs> more stressful. Uh, especially with her kind of being thrown into this Paris situation. There's a whole scene where this award is sprung on Miranda and she's very upset about it and blames Andy. Yeah. And then makes Andy basically accept the award on her behalf. With like 45 minutes notice. Yeah. And it's super, oh my God, I just feel so much for her in that moment. So awkward. Yeah. But while she's on this trip with Miranda, they do have the one year conversation, which is, you know, after a year being her assistant, Miranda kind of mentions like, hey, it's been almost a year. Um, Usually I give my assistants a promotion after that. What do you want? And Andy kind of making an offer being like, I want to work for the New Yorker. Like, I want to be a journalist. And Miranda's like not like excited about this idea, but she's also like, I'll think about it, which is probably the best 
option yeah. for Andy at this point. I, I like, I do appreciate that, like, we don't get the insight into Miranda's character in the book that we get in the movie. Yeah. But it's at least painted in this scene that, like, this is a very rare occasion when Miranda seems like to acknowledge that Andy's a human being and yeah. maybe has like career aspirations mm-hmm. and is like interested in like helping her maybe. Uh, so Andy, like you said, takes that chance, mentions the New Yorker and Miranda's like, well, we'll see how the rest of the trip goes. Yeah. Essentially. And then Andy gets a call that Lily is in the hospital and in a coma because she was driving drunk and got into a car accident. The most dramatic of all medical conditions, the coma. <laughs> I don't want to make fun of this, but at the same time, it's so needlessly dramatic. Yeah, like I said, like, I, I don't know. This literally could have been exactly what happened to the author in this story. I have no idea where the truth is, but it really sticks out as feeling. Very far-fetched. Yeah, and very dramatized in terms of like my best friend is in a coma and it's my fault because I didn't notice the signs earlier. (laughs) Uh, And now she has to make a decision whether to fly back to be with her best friend in the whole world or stay with Miranda and keep this job and the opportunity that she just had for getting that New Yorker job. So yeah, it just feels like over the top, very like black and white, like moral <laughs> choice here. Like, Do I want to be like a good friend or like a monster? <laughs> yeah. And like Andy does wrestle with this a bit. And in fact, she tells Miranda that she, her friend is in a coma, but she's going to stick it out, like stick the trip out. To be fair, I think the book does a really good job of establishing the situation up until this point. Yeah. Where you're kind of like. It's been a year almost. It's like so close to her making it. Like she's almost got what she's after. And her parents are specifically like, listen, she's in a coma. Like if you come home, there's literally nothing you can do. Yeah. And you're almost like, I mean. Maybe it's fine. Maybe she should just stay. Like, what could she do? Yeah. Like, you almost, like, kind of are on her side or understanding. Um, And at first, she does kind of choose not to go back. Yeah. And she tells Miranda, like, Miranda kind of, like, overhears a phone call. And Andy tells her the situation. And Miranda's like, well, you made the right call not, not going back home. Yeah. And then she tells Andy that she sees herself in Andy. A lot of herself in Andy. And Andy's like, hmm, file that one away for therapy later. (laughs) And then she's like, okay, I'm okay with this decision. And then Miranda starts like shitting on her for not like renewing her daughter's passports ahead of time, even though Andy had no idea that they would need to be renewed and it wasn't her job to do that. Yeah. And so like she's in the middle of this berating, trying to like figure out how to change it. And she just kind of has this, like, like it just snaps finally. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, finally. One too many impossible tasks. And because she's like, Miranda's like, you have to get their new passports uh, to them in time for their flight. In, in three t- hours. Yeah. And. Andy's like. Um. See, I almost wish this book was like a dark twisted. Yeah. Like, where, like it ends with her like murdering Miranda. <laughs> Like a dark, twisted story. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll take the alternative, which is that Andy uh, just goes in public up to Miranda and tells her to, like, go fuck herself, basically. Yeah. She says, fuck you, Miranda. 
And Miranda's just kind of like stunned and speechless at first. Yeah. And she gets to have her like triumphant moment of like, you know, walking away and like getting that, you know, satisfaction Mm -hmm. and then like gets to go home essentially. Yeah. Emily calls to fire her um, because she's obviously fired after that. She sees Lily. Lily comes out of the coma and is fine. Um, Andy and Lily go spend time with Andy's parents for a while to kind of like recover after like everything they've been through. And then Andy kind of ends up pitching some stories to Seventeen magazine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she becomes she gets them published. And it's kind of funny because like her public um, uh, dissing of Miranda kind of made like the papers yeah or at least like the tabloids and that kind of gave her some uh attention or at least some credit to like a lot of people in the writing community or like you know just new york for being like oh my god miranda's a bitch like i'm glad you told her that she could go fuck herself (laughs) and would you like money we'll just give you money because you told off miranda (laughs) she and alex do break up um, they kind of realize after this year that they've grown apart too much and that their lives are different now. Um, and I kind of like this, that it's like, yeah, I have changed enough and like we have grown apart and it's time to kind of end things. And then she sells all the designer clothes that she got for free for cash. <laughs> Cold, hard cash. The end. <laughs> the end. She lived happily ever after. And Genuinely, that is, yeah, that's the end of the the story, essentially, of the book. Yeah. So let's get into the the movie ending, the movie third act. Mm -hmm. Uh, She gets to Paris, and things are just more like, at this point in the story, like, things are just, like, kind of settled down, I guess, with Miranda and her job. Like, she's really good at her job. Miranda seems to not just, like, be sadistic and abusing her at this point. Also, she looks really great because she's wearing designer clothes and she's having her makeup done and her hair is like professionally done as well. So Mm -hmm. like she looks awesome. We get this like really cool moment though with a vulnerable Miranda and Andy kind of comes into her hotel room and we see Miranda without any makeup and just like seems like really upset. The power, Adina, of no makeup is shocking it is isn't it it really like you're just like oh my god yeah like it's really almost like startling but Mm -hmm. yeah she sees miranda no makeup kind of like either crying or like kind of on the verge of tears and at first they kind of just go into business essentially about like setting up this awards dinner that uh miranda's being honored for and it's kind of like revealed. She's like, can you move Snoop Dogg to my table? <laughs> Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Uh, who's going to this fashion awards thing, I guess. Who we never see at her table Snoop in the later Dogg scene. Snoop Dogg is never there. I was very upset by that total missed opportunity. For Snoop Dogg. For Snoop Dogg. Or just any celebrity to like name drop and then just kind of subtly have at that table. Yeah. But anyway, we find out that there's an empty seat at her table because her husband isn't going because her husband is divorcing her. Because she's pretty terrible. (laughs) I mean. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) Her husband is divorcing her. And Miranda kind of is candid with Andy and is saying, like, I know what they'll say about me. That I'm like like an ice queen. I'm like a dragon lady. Yeah. um, And that I've driven another man away. And she was just saying, though, like, 
I don't care what they say about me. I just am upset that my girls will have to go through this and that Mm -hmm. they'll be dragged in this situation and that I, you know, wanted a good father figure for them. And this man was like another disappointment to me. And like, I love this moment for Miranda because we, we see beyond like behind the persona. We see behind like this projected image of who she is and a little bit into her life. And I like how hard it is for a woman who has a lot of power and how, you know, there can still be problems. And there's a scene later in the movie too, where Andy kind of defends Miranda to Christian. Yeah. And he's talking about how like impossible she is. And Andy's kind of like, I mean, if she were a guy, she would just be praised for like doing a good job with the magazine. And instead, because she's a woman, she is called like an ice queen or impossible or like a drama queen or something like that. And I think bringing up the double standard is really important because while it's not okay and it doesn't excuse the the behavior Miranda has, I think pointing out that like, many men do this too and like they don't get any attention for it is like a a valid point absolutely yeah this scene is just i mean meryl streep is just phenomenal in it she's so good in this movie as a whole she is uh i think you you were the one who told me that like this movie kind of like put her in like more mainstream movies from here on out which i look back at her her filmography and it's kind of true because like all through the 90s, she was in, like, a lot of movies that were just, like, Critically drama. acclaimed, yeah. Oscar-y movies. But, like, totally, like, you don't think about when you think of Meryl Streep. Yeah. And, and this kind of, like, injected some life into her, like, later career, I think. Yeah, and it's awesome because she's in her 50s and, like, had this kind of, like, wave of movies that were, like, blockbusters. So not only, like, critically acclaimed for her roles, but also, like, making a ton of money, um, which is really cool to see. And, like, I mean, obviously Meryl Streep is an amazing actress. We don't have to (laughs) say that. The hot take here on Cover the Credits, (laughs) Meryl Streep is a good actress. But I think she brings so much life to this character because in the book she is pretty one-dimensional. Like, she is a devil, you know? She's the villain of the story. And the story is all about kind of getting that last final fuck you to this person. But the movie is more about kind of understanding where this woman is coming from and, like, what her world is like and what she had to become to be successful. And this really reminds me of another movie. Ooh, okay. Funny that you brought mm. one up. Um, but it reminds me of Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. Because not only the fashion and, like, the designer and name the dropping that happens, yeah. but the fact that um, Michelle Yeoh, who played um, Eleanor, the mom, the mother-in-law character um, in Crazy Rich Asians, specifically asked for scenes that humanized her character yeah before she agreed to play this character she was like i don't want to be like the dragon mother yeah like i want to be like you know i want to have three dimensions and similarly um uh meryl streep also asked for scenes that humanized her and asked for a scene where she was without makeup to kind of show her without her walls and without her armor yeah and i think yeah it's it's a testament to the power of like a performance to a character like this because genuinely i was kind of shocked that like reading the book before we had watched the movie because it's been a long time since i've seen the movie but reading the book and reading about how terrible she is and sadistic and mean Mm -hmm. and like you know what i mean i was like 
okay, clearly they soften her up a lot for the movie. Mm-hmm. And they do to a degree, but I was kind of shocked by how much they don't. Yeah. But just the fact that it's like Meryl Streep's amazing performance that you like still like her so much. Yeah. And almost like understand her still. And like, I, I think that's. You can't help rooting for her a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And kind of like see her side of things to a degree. Yeah. So I really think that like her performance just like, I think they add to the character like in the script a lot. Yeah. And obviously she does amazing in those scenes, but also like I think she just brings such great. She's a different level. Yeah. Such a great performance to those other scenes where she's still just being like a total bitch. But you're like, but I'm into it now because it's Meryl. (laughs) Uh, and something else about that scene that I love when she's kind of had this moment of vulnerability is that like the way it ends, it seems like she's kind of like going to maybe be more open and honest, but then she kind of cuts it off and says like, but back to business. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Back, you know, back to whatever. And like, you can see her kind of closing the door and like, this wasn't some big emotional, like connection that they had yeah the floodgates are open yeah and things are different between them now it was like just a peak and it doesn't really change who she is and that she's not gonna like suddenly become a good person yeah or intentionally open and nice to andy yeah so i thought the way it ended and like kind of the summary of that part was like so good yeah we find out too that Nigel has a new job opportunity that's coming up. He's going to be a partner in this design firm and he's really excited about it. Um, but Andy also finds out that the like CEO or chairman of Elias Clark, the organization that owns Runway, is planning to replace Miranda. Yeah, and it's kind of this like... She finds out through Christian, so this is like his cutoff point with their relationship. She's like, you bastard. And he's yeah. like, I mean, am I? <laughs> uh, and so she's on a mission to warn Miranda before this is like sprung on her. Yeah. And But she can't, she kind of tells her, but like Miranda doesn't really acknowledge it's it. It's not like even in enough time. But then at this award ceremony... Miranda says she's going to announce like a new position and Nigel is like really excited because it looks like she's going to announce that he has this partnership now. And instead she announces that the person who was supposed to replace her is going to take that partnership design position that he was looking for that he was going to have. So she kind of played them all. And it's interesting because when she and Andy are in the limo after this event, Andy asks about it and uh, Miranda kind of explains herself and is like, I knew about this for a long time that they were planning to replace me. Yeah, we get kind of a weird montage here of like her backroom dealings with people and kind of ex- it's almost like in a heist movie. Yeah, <laughs> when they like go back and you're like, oh, that's what this thing was about. And that except like there wasn't really any groundwork for this beforehand it's just like no it comes out of nowhere a little bit but we see that clearly Miranda knows what she's doing yeah and she's not above backstabbing someone she might consider a friend um to protect herself yeah and it's sad too because like Nigel at the table when they find out Andy like says how sorry she is and uh, Nigel's like She'll make it up for me someday. I know she will. And and Andy's kind of like, are you? Will she? Yeah. Are you sure about that? And he's like, I have to believe that. And it's so sad. And I think Nigel 
I think he's one of the per- people who clearly worked with Miranda the closest. Yeah. And seemed to respect her the most and be at the most ease with her. And so I think he was kind of this like clue in to the fact that like maybe behind closed doors, Miranda was like a little more better. at ease. Yeah, a little better, a little softer maybe. And so for him to kind of like get struck with this really, I, I, I kind of takes that back. You know what I mean? That like. Yeah, it shows how hard she can be. Um, and Andy kind of says as much to her. She was, and Miranda says something about like, I see a lot of myself in you again, the same line from the book. And Andy's like, well, I could never do what you did to Nigel. And she's like, you already did <laughs> to Emily, <laughs> to Emily. Yeah. yeah. And even though Andy's like, well, I didn't have a choice. Still, the parallel is clear that she was willing to let Emily get run over by a car so she could go to Paris. <laughs> she was a twist. We do the heist flashback. And fu- she was driving Andy the car. Andy <laughs> was driving the car that struck no, Emily. No. <laughs> but I get the spirit of it. Yeah. And I think this is a really great moment for Andy because she's sort of like, she's right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And she sees this in herself. And this is a moment where Andy decides to walk away. And she literally does. She walks away from this scene. We see Miranda going into this fashion show there's like paparazzi everywhere and annie just walks away throws her phone in the fountain she's like i you know i'm done yeah litters in the fountain <laughs> and we also get a line I, that i love too from miranda about everyone wants to be us yeah and kind of like how she's kind of embraced that status and i think kind of like lives for that status uh and like obviously andy's at this crossroads where she's like Do I want that to be my identity in my life? Well, I think, too, she recognizes that she has the potential to become someone like Miranda. Yeah. And she has that drive and she has the very real possibility that she will become that. So I think she's acknowledging that in herself, which I like. Mm -hmm. Um, But then she's making a conscious decision to do something different. Whereas in the book, I feel like it's being decided for her because her friend is in a coma. It's a pretty, yeah. It's pretty drastic. So in the movie, she's actually making a choice based on like the type of person that she wants to be. And clearly she's grown into this role so much more than in the book. Like that's her trajectory. She seems like she's successful. Yeah. At this point, she's like comfortable in this role and like can clearly keep going. And like Miranda and her seem to be on good terms. Like things have like settled. Yeah. The book is just like hey, you've almost put in your year, but I'm still going to abuse you and you're still a piece of shit and I yeah. hate you. And it's just like... I can't do this anymore. Yeah, yeah. She's just reached like a natural breaking point in yeah. the book. Yeah. Whereas the movie, I think, takes like a lot more interest in like what her arc and trajectory is in the story. I agree. And she and Alex, her boyfriend, are maybe still kind of together. It's very ambiguous, the conversation they have. Yeah. He gets a job in Boston, so I doubt they're going to last, honestly. Yeah, because he's like, I'm going to Boston, and something said where it's like we could kind of be together, and she's like, oh, cool. Uh, I have an interview I'm going to go to here in New York, and he's like, great. (laughs) It's just kind of like, okay, where do we stand here? But they don't explain. They don't, and I mean, it's probably the point. Yeah, it's fine. She gets a job interview and finds out that Miranda sent an actually kind of positive recommendation for her, which is a win, I think. Yeah. (laughs) And then there's a moment, too, where she, Miranda and Andy kind of make eye contact in the street. And it's, like, not terrible. Um, And that's that's the end. I'm like, did we need one more Miranda, 
Andy moment. I mean, I don't hate it. I like it. It's fine. For me, though, it was like you have that final moment of her walking away in Paris. And then you have like the follow up moment with the letter where you're like, okay, I didn't like totally like disown her or she doesn't hate me. And then you get one more moment. It just felt like one too many moments. moments. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But I think it does end on kind of like a grudging respect between them. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in the book ended with like a fuck you and like a blacklisting type situation. <laughs> yeah. Um. So which one's better, Ian? You know, I really had to search my soul for this one. Did and, you? and really dig deep. Uh, I think I will most definitely have to go with the movie on this one. There were things I liked about the book and appreciated, like it taking the kind of psychological abuse of the situation a little more seriously. Yeah. I think some of the details were interesting to kind of like dive into in the book. However, my points about like so much of the book is just kind of this steady stream of abuse with like no like change of character or like upward momentum yeah and how like it does feel like a memoir of just like a year in the life of a vogue (laughs) assistant you know what i mean with some forced in drama (laughs) fictionalized drama lily lily (laughs) also maybe alex uh yes ultimately like there were aspects about the book I thought were interesting. However, it was probably a hundred pages longer than it needed to be. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to have to go with the movie. Um, And there are are a few reasons I'm going to go with the movie. One is obviously like the stellar performances by this cast. Like they could not have cast this movie better, honestly. Two, I think it's more effective to see certain things than it is to read. And I'm going to make another comparison to Crazy Rich Asians because I felt the same way. Like you can name drop brands, designers over and over and it means nothing to me. But when you show me like fancy outfits and shoes and purses, like I'm going to have more an impression of like what you're talking about. And also, I was not a huge fan of the writing style in this book. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. From the beginning, they kind of paint Lily as, like, just this casual friend. And then almost, like, 50 to 70 pages in, they, like, spring it on you that they're, like, her and Andy are, like, childhood best friends. And it kind of comes out of nowhere. And I feel like it was a very poor writing and editing choice in the book. Yeah, yeah. And also, there were sometimes when the author would like write a phrase and it would just like not sound right. I can't even explain it, but I would like read it a couple times and it just didn't flow. Um, yeah. It was just like confusingly worded. And also there's like this casual cultural insensitivity that permeates the book where the author kind of mentions like um, Indian characters or, um, you know, people of different nationalities who are like drivers or roommates or, um, you know, waiters, things like that. And they, she just like puts them down like multiple times. Yeah. She talks about like, um, two of, um, Andy's Indian roommates being, um, indistinguishable and she can't tell them apart. Yeah, or, like, the guys who work at Benihana being, like, failed Asian actors. Yeah, and, like, she complains about her roommate's, like, curry smell. Yeah. It's just not great. And she also makes a line about, like, she kind of, like, shames a gay character for, like, having sex and mentions AIDS. She's, like, 
I don't be such I, a slut. She's like, Jonathan, don't you know this is the age of AIDS? Yeah, I'm like, don't be holy a fuck. Like, yeah, it, was, it was such a, like. I don't know if that was supposed to be a joke. I mean, I think so, but like, I don't think there's anything. I don't think you could ever say that. And no, and like, there's like no establishment that like, they're close enough friends. She could make that like, rude of a joke and it would be like, fine. No. it Like, I read that. I went, I had like an audible reaction. I was like, whoa. And I immediately wrote it down. <laughs> yeah. So just all of that together and coupled with the fact too, that like, like you were saying, this movie doesn't really have an or This book doesn't really have an arc. Yeah. Or like a plot. Like it just goes and goes and goes. And then it's like Paris. And that's yeah. It. Which like in terms of like memoirs, I think is more acceptable. Like it's your real life. I don't expect you to have like a defined character. A three arc. act structure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you kind of fictionalize it and put it into a book, I'm like, okay, I'm looking for a little bit more here. Yeah. And the movie clearly had to add more of an arc for Andy and add more of a three-act structure because it wasn't there in the book. So I'm definitely going to have to go with the movie. And I think um, this movie is just like really fun and enjoyable to watch. And there's some great performances. There's some iconic lines. Um, Florals. Florals? Florals for spring. Yeah. Groundbreaking. (laughs) That's all. (laughs) That's all. Uh, Yeah, that is all. Uh, Book from both. (laughs) I'm rewriting it now. Uh, movie from both of us. And let's uh, let's do a lightning round. Lightning. So first up for a lightning round, uh, there was one line. I was listening to this book on audiobook like in the last few chapters and I heard it and I was like, I'm sorry, what? And I had to like rewind 30 seconds. <laughs> but she talks about like when Miranda's in Paris and she's still in the US, but she has to patch people into phone calls yeah. with her like through like calling into the u.s then she connects her to paris and how just like ridiculous it is and she says she feels like one of those like old-timey phone operators from a little house on the prairie (laughs) and i'm like i'm sorry wait there are no phones in little house on the prairie times you're off by a few decades yeah with that reference like 50 to 60 years (laughs) it's just like Wow, like that was a really, I don't know, that could have been like an intentional joke. It didn't feel like it, though. It's weird. It felt like just like, oh, like the author being like, what's really old? I don't know, Little House on the Prairie. (laughs) It could have been like, I felt like I was patching through people on old phone lines, like in Roman times or something. (laughs) What? Yeah, it was just weird. (laughs) When you pointed that out to me, I was like, what? (laughs) So I just want to mention from the movie a fun fact. So um, Stanley Tucci and um, Emily Blunt. So he actually went to Emily Blunt's wedding when Mm. she married John Krasinski. And at that wedding, he met Emily Blunt's older sister and they actually got married. Oh, my God. So Stanley Tucci is married to... Um, Emily Blunt's sister, so their brother and sister-in-law. And she talked about how impactful the film was on her career. And she also said, like, I mean, literally, Stanley is, like, my family now. So, like, that movie, like, changed my life. That's so cool. I love that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, Something else from the book that I had to mention that, like, came up multiple times. There's several characters or situations in the story from, like, family members of hers to people... Uh, that attend parties who have Southern accents. Mm. And she makes such a point 
And maybe part of this, too, is that, like, when I was listening to the ending parts on audiobook, the narrator does a southern accent. Ooh. But also, I feel like there's comments made about how she can't stand southern accents <laughs> and all the ridiculous southern accents. And I'm like, what does the author have against people from the south or with <laughs> southern accents? It's just, like, very weirdly focused on. I mean, if she lives in New York, I can see their, them being... I don't know if people in New York City are, like, prejudiced against... Maybe. I don't south. know. We live in PA, and I don't care if someone has a Texas accent. No. <laughs> it's yeah. Just so weirdly focused on in the book. I agree. <laughs> um, next, I want to mention that... So, Meryl Streep actually didn't want to model her character on Anna Wintour, the person. And instead, she drew inspiration from a few other people. Most notably, I think, from Clint Eastwood and his characters in films. I did read that. Which is so interesting to me because she talked about how um, Miranda, like, speaks very softly. Yeah. And that's also something... And I watched a clip where it showed Clint Eastwood talking in one of his westerns. And he also kind of talks really softly. Like, that is something... He doesn't raise his voice, but like it makes other people have to pay attention. And it kind of shows like you're the calm one and like everyone else is like chaos around you. And it kind of like shows her like quiet determination and also how confident she is in herself. That's a really interesting... Because I read that comment, but with no like explanation but like hearing that i'm like i see it now yeah yeah and she actually worked with clint eastwood on a movie bridges over madison county mm-hmm. so that's i could see like she had that like one-on-one experience with him too yeah that's really cool i like that i do too uh so that's it that's it for lightning round and that's it for the episode thank you for listening um if you would like to support us you can find us over on patreon we have a lot of cool stuff going on over there we do bonus episodes our new bonus episodes will our new bonus episode (laughs) will be on uh the legend of Korra. um so we do like kind of bonus episodes on either whatever we're watching um or kind of consuming at the time or on additional adaptations um and we seriously love everyone who supports us on patreon it means so much to us we specifically don't do ads um in our podcast because we don't like them and it like messes up the flow of like doing an episode yeah just doesn't make sense yeah so all of our uh financial support comes through patreon and we try to give back by doing those bonus episodes only for our patrons yeah in addition to monthly episode schedules and priority recommendations if you have a Uh, adaptation you really want us to do the best way to get that in the fast lane is to become a patron and give us that suggestion and if you can't um support us on patreon please um either leave us a review or a star rating on apple Podcasts. that really helps other people find us um or just reach out to us we love hearing from listeners like did you like the episode what are your thoughts on episodes that we've done in the past and you can reach us on social media you can find us on instagram facebook and on Twitter, we're Cover Two Credits. And then you can also email us at CoverToCreditsPod at gmail.com. Yeah. So find us on there. Let us know what you think of Meryl Streep, The Devil Wears Prada, and everything in between. Yes. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.